This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hi again, everyone. Welcome to the Wrestling Inc. Podcast. Uh, it's Wednesday, February 7th. I'm joined by the blueprint, Matt Morgan. Matt, thanks for joining us. Glad to be back. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's always great having you on the Wednesday podcast, so uh, thanks for being here. Glenn is uh, feeling under the weather, so he could not make it today, uh, but Chris Featherstone of the Pancakes and Power Slam show, uh, also writes for Wrestling Inc., will be joining us here shortly. So we got a lot to talk about. Um, SmackDown last night. Real quick, Matt, overall thoughts of last night's show? Putting my boy in situations again where he does not prevail on the microphone. Um you uh, trying AJ or Bobby yeah, Roode? I apologize. Oh, good point. Uh, <laughs> AJ in this particular case. But, yeah, Bobby's wasn't much better. Um, AJ, I, I didn't – yeah. Yeah, the, the, he's the – he is the B player at the moment as the heavyweight champion to their A storyline. Isn't that crazy? I know. I, I... – I wish they would. I wish they would do more with him. Make him stand out uh, more as a superstar. They make him look kind of like an idiot by the end, you know, with him uh, attacking Owens and Sammy. Uh, he, he just he just comes across as um, foolish. But I, I did think his promo was better this week. He's, he's not doing the cami stuff, um, right. so I thought it was a little better. But uh, he, I, I wish he'd get better material because, I mean, he's over with the crowd. I mean, they they, they respond to him. So he's good. And with with when he was at TNA. Yeah. The thing is, you need to AJ. Every, we all have our strengths, right? We do, and some of us have our weaknesses. AJ, I'm not going to say his promos are weak or his weakness, but there are areas where he does need to be scripted. He just does, and that's where again the writers fail a lot of these guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think tonight's show was a great example of it. Um, I, I, you know, overall, I thought it was an easy show to watch. I did you get right. to watch uh, Mixed Match Challenge or Two Hundred Five? Yeah, Water? yeah. I watched both actors this week. I thought both of those were really good. Mix match challenge. We'll get to those in a minute uh, after after SmackDown. But it, it, it was a fun show. Um, now let's jump to SmackDown. So it opened up. Shane McMahon doing a promo. Uh, you know, he he talked about Sami Zayn or Kevin Owens going on the the winner of the match tonight, going on to face AJ at Fastlane. We had predicted or talked about the possibility of them doing a double pin or something where mm-hmm. it was a draw. They they did it a little differently. Um, so he said they don't deserve another opportunity. Daniel Bryan came out. Um, this led to AJ coming out. Uh, uh let me see that. There was something, there was a loud Rusev day during this promo and, and Shane, <laughs> Shane replied, <laughs> duly noted. And then later Daniel Bryan made a crack about needing a pay raise. Uh, everyone started chanting yes. And Daniel Bryan <laughs> dropped a duly noted. So some good improv there. Um, yes. So, uh, yeah, Shane was saying the Yep movement was a cheap imitation of of what Daniel Bryan created. Um, Just going back and forth, I felt like, I don't know, nothing really happened in this promo. AJ came out, said he's kind of sick of both of them um, because he's the one that suffers with them always bickering. And that was kind of it. He just said he's going to leave WrestleMania as the WWE champion, and that was it. Nothing really set up. Um, 
I guess it furthered the Shane Daniel Bryan storyline. Where is this going? Where do you think? Uh, it's, I keep praying that it means they let Daniel Bryan wrestle somehow. <laughs> I just still the fan in me that's begging to see this. And maybe that, and it overtakes my logical side that there's no way it could happen. Um, because otherwise you tell me, because when I was, again, well, I hate, keep, keep, I hate using TNA as an example, cause it's not the same as apples to oranges. But when I was there, everyone was always crucifying, you know, I was using Dixie Carter storylines cause there's no payoff. Right. Yeah. Or when Stephanie McMahon would be in segments, there's no payoff. Right. If she's the ultimate heel. Right. right. Well, where's the payoff here? If neither one of them can wrestle each other right yeah right I mean, so, I mean shane can wrestle but if the payoff is daniel bryan as a special referee that's just not enough yeah for like a six-month build by the time wrestlemania comes around it just and then that's been the top storyline on smackdown of them controlling all the airtime and controlling all the promo time in ring promo time which is even more valuable um you know what i mean there, yeah. there needs to be a better payoff than that and aj keeps coming across like if aj was not the champion and let's say he was the heel in all of this. I could see like this being somewhat okay with what, how they're booking him. But this is our babyface world champion. He's the WWE champion playing a second fiddle to a guy that can't wrestle and a guy that wrestles twice, two or three times a year. And his opponents to a degree. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, yeah. that uh, I don't get it. I don't get it either. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. But they're, you know... There's nine matches kind of in the works for WrestleMania right now. Uh, we had posted wow. the rumored WrestleMania card. Nothing really clear regarding Shane, Daniel Bryan, you know, wh- where all this is going. So, um, What's the rumor for AJ? Uh, well, it's Nakamura. So, oh, God. Yeah, yeah, of course. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's AJ Nakamura. Here, let me, uh, let me just run down what's rumored so far. And... We can talk about it later, but AJ Nakamura, obviously Brock and Reigns. And now all this can change. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, it changes all the time, but uh, Meltzer reported Nia Jax and Alexa Bliss. Um, I just, with how WWE does things, I could see them turning that into a multiple person women's match, unless they do like a women's battle Royal or something. Um, because now they're doing, you know, all the specialty matches, they're doing them for the women. So maybe they'll have like an Andre, battle royal named after someone else like Mula or young and and do a women's battle royal as well Interesting. yeah so we got oscar and charlotte flair um braun Strowman and the miz ronda rousey and a partner obviously they're hoping to get the rock but i'm you know i'm it'll i think it'll be tough for him to do it if they don't they could always do kurt angle against triple h and stephanie mcmahon john cena versus the undertaker uh the finals of the cruiserweight title and of course the andre the giant battle royal so yeah, so that's nine so far already. Wow. Uh, not much there, like really knocking your socks off. I mean, Cena and the Undertaker will no. easily overshadow everything else, I think, so far. And AJ Nakamura from an in-ring standpoint will be this will be awesome. Like I'm actually looking forward to that a lot. I just hope they give it time because you know, like we've said, they've been treating AJ secondary. So hopefully, yeah. they don't treat this match as secondary. <clears throat> nah. Yeah, so there was New Day promo. Um, they were Biggie had a funny line about Corey Graves. I, I that was later in the show, so I'll get to that. Um, so we went to a commercial. What was next? Oh, so we had Charlotte Flair against Liv Morgan uh, in a non-title match. Liv Morgan out with the Riot Squad. Um, 
Charlotte gets the win with the figure eight. Um, I don't know. Nothing. Um, I just feel like the right squad has no chemistry. They don't. A good little feature for Liv Morgan, though, um, I thought. is Anytime you get an opportunity to wrestle, you know, in a match like that versus Charlotte, you're, you're, you know what I mean? It's a good opportunity to showcase you can get it done in the ring, at least. So that's, like, the only upside in this, you know what I mean? But creatively, you know, storyline-wise and character-wise, like you're saying, not much being done. Yeah, I feel like Liv and Ruby Riot can be strong personalities on their own. Um, yes. I think Sarah Logan. I think I actually think Sarah Logan can use some time in NXT and just get some seasoning. She shouldn't have been called up, but the reason she was was much like I'm guessing when I got called up was like they were sandwiching me with veterans like Brock and, and guys like that and Big Show and where I wouldn't have to do too much, you know. So, some power moves, scream at them. You know what I mean? So, like, I, I think it's that was something similar, where she was sandwiched in with two other girls with a little bit more experience. She's the bigger of the bunch, so she stands out. And but that's the problem when you're bigger, dude. You've got to they've got to leave you in the cooker longer. That's just the way it is. Same with me. They should have left me in OVW for a year and a half at least uh, before pulling me up. Not six months. Yeah. No, I I, I agree. She. Um... So we'll see. We'll see where they go with that. Um, up next, we had Renee Young approaching Kevin Owens backstage, asking if his friendship with Sami Zayn can survive the main event. Mm-hmm. Um, Owens said that she, uh, she, for once, had a good question, but she's asking, yeah. the, wrong <laughs> she's asking the wrong person because yeah. it's up to Sami. Losing to him. If he can handle losing to him. So <laughs> Owens is great. Um and then Bludgeon Brothers in a squash match against a couple of uh, enhancement talents. Uh, nothing much here. Double crucifix nope. mom for the win. Uh, the big thing was then they were leaving. And once again, they kind of teased something with the Usos because as they were right. leaving, the Usos were heading back uh, or were coming to the ring. So they squared off. They looked at each other for a second, and uh, Bludgeon Brothers went to the back. Usos came out, did a promo. Uh, Bludgeon Brothers, anything, got anything to add to that? Just that if these two do have a match, which they will, obviously, um, the match itself is going to be very good because all four can go. Bludgeon Brothers are good. Yeah. They just have the most ridiculous costumes and outfits known to man. Um, but as far as in-ring goes, I'm telling you that that's going to be a good tag match as far as once the bell rings. Yeah, I mean, they've had matches before. They had a, a feud in the Remember? past before. And, yeah, the matches were great uh, when they were with the Wyatts against the Usos. Um you look at them now, It's it, that seems like a long time ago. And the Usos bringing up in their promo, uh, you know, how, how they used to wear face paint and, and where they are now. Um, I don't know. This uh, It was, a, you know, the Usos delivered this promo well, but it seemed very, very pointless. Like, it was just to fill time. I think because they're so – honestly, my, my opinion since I've been watching SmackDown is – they're the ones I'm always most impressed with, if I'm being honest, on the mic. Yeah. So I think they're getting reviews, you know, rave reviews of people being like, these guys are freaking awesome on the mic. Let's just keep giving them more time. Well, you've got to give them a little bit of direction here, guys, as well. <laughs> yeah. Now, direction is not putting stupid slammer doors on the damn graphic. Oh, my either. God. Yeah. That's not direction. That's the direction we don't want. Um, but you know what I mean? I think some circumstances when you give somebody a mic and say, just go. You've got four minutes tonight. You know, talk about whatever you guys want to talk about, which I doubt is what was told them. But to a degree, maybe it was. That's when guys get over, usually. They sink or swim. They start to come up with their own little isms and characteristics, and they get a chance to be themselves. And that's why I think the Usos Usos are 
really hitting a not a home run, but they're they're doing really well with their promos because they're feeling themselves finally. Yeah, I agree. Uh, on the mic, I, I I mean where they were two years ago and where they are now. I mean they have come a long way and and they really uh, come across as something special when they're out there. Um, well, that's cool. So we go to. Daniel Bryan, who reveals this the SmackDown top ten list, which I don't know what the hell this is. Um, they're yeah. saying it's you know like it's it's voted on by the stars and it's going to help them make booking decisions, but it, they oh. they don't say what. Um, number ten is Ty Dillinger, so that right away tells you uh, if it's legitimate or not. Um, Kevin, I should say right off the bat, Kevin, no Kevin Owens, no Sami Zayn. They didn't even make the list. Who are in the main event? Um, right. Rusev wasn't on the list. Uh, number nine, you got Randy Orton. So Randy Orton's behind Naomi and, and you know, Becky Lynch, Bobby Roode. Right. Number eight's Becky Lynch. Seven's the Usos. Six, the New Day. Five, Bobby Roode. Four, Naomi. Yes. Three, Nakamura. Two, Charlotte Flair. And one, AJ Styles. I have the feeling that if, you know, the people backstage were really voting on this, AJ Styles would be number one. Yes. But Randy Orton, number nine, um, Owens and Sammy not even on the list. I don't know what the hell this is. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't I didn't pick up on that either as to who, you know what I mean? It just seems like another phony list to me. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what they're doing with it. It's, if they're saying, okay, since this person's number two next week, we're booking a match between them. But it sounds like, Chris, what, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, it, it didn't make any sense to me at all. Um I was excited about the concept because I was thinking about the old school WCW, you know, top 10, number one contender, what they used to do back in the day. Uh, I kind of thought it was that concept, but when they start doing champions and then, you know, mixing the man and the woman, it just didn't make sense to me at all. So essentially you're saying, hey, I can't pick myself, but I'm going to pick this person to be number six. Like, uh, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. And just, no. you had the Usos, the New Day is my favorite tag. I love the New Day, but it made no sense that they were above the Usos. Right. Yes. And the Usos beat them to become champions, and they re- they beat them again to retain the championship. That didn't make any sense at all. I love Naomi. She's my favorite female wrestler. How in the world is she the fourth best person on SmackDown right now? I, di- I didn't understand that so, at all. Yeah, that is, that was, yeah. <laughs> There's nothing else to add to that, but yes. <laughs> if, if you thought about this list for more than a minute, you, it's just full of. It just com- came off as complete BS. Between this and the graphics that they have with the words popping up on the screen, I hate that because the words are popping up a lot of times before the wrestlers even say their yes. lines. So it comes across as so scripted and extra phony. Um, you guys are the, the, you guys are 100 percent right. <laughs> The, the promo between ben, when Benjamin and Gable when they were like shoving the the, the board um, before the um, the ascension, uh, Gable said punchline, and for some reason punchline was like it just popped up right when he said it. I'm like, okay, so you, I mean, how do you explain that? It didn't make any sense at all. You knew you just knew that he was going to say punchline. Yeah, I'm just waiting for there to be a backstage attack, you know, and someone's yeah, like, right. <laughs> you get this, and it's popping up on the screen, like the words. The old, the old 1960s Batman. Right. Yeah. Yes, Kapow, yep. And they're not doing this on Raw, so and like the stupid list thing. So it seems like they're just throwing crap at 
SmackDown, SmackDown. just trying these gimmicks Mm -hmm. instead of making real efforts to uh, shake the talent up, make the show better, um, you know, really give it a spark. Okay, let's be fair, though. The only – okay, because I go – I don't want to sound like I waffle on this. I don't, but – Sorry. So we can't. Can you still hear me? Uh, yeah, we lost you me? there for a second. I don't want to crap on everything, you know, that's new and that they're trying, right? Because it's going to discourage them from keep trying new things that we desperately, as fans, want them to keep doing. As far mm-hmm. as trying new things and, and paying more attention to, to what the fans want, um, and it is going to take trial and error situations like this to maybe get to something bigger one day. Uh, you know what I mean? I don't know what that bigger thing is one day, but you know what I mean? There's things along the journey that will get you there, whether it's the technology of putting this stupid up or the stupid slammer door shutting on Uso's promos oh, or goodness. whatever have you. <laughs> there has to be. I have to believe it in my heart that it's, it, it gets to something that's that, that's the, I don't know, the, 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 the embers of a, of a future great idea. Yeah. I just wish they would turn more to what the NFL is doing or what the UFC is doing as far as ideas for, you know, uh, production uh, changes and stuff like that, as opposed to Nickelodeon. And, you know, like the (laughs) because that's a very kiddie show with the words popping up and call me. okay, call call me naive. Like what's it? What's NFL and UFC doing like that you like? Uh, well, just, you know, character profiles like they did for Roderick Strong, um, mm-hmm. you know, before on 205 yeah, Live. Yeah. Like, that's really effective. You really feel connected. You feel like what you're watching is real, and it, and it gives you a reason to get behind them. Or even on Raw when they did the vignettes be, uh, before Asuka and Bailey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you, yeah, UFC where they just kind of piece together bits and clips of, you know, promos before the match. Um mm-hmm where it just comes across as realistic. So just things like that, things that make what you're watching feel more real as opposed to even more yeah. uh, scripted. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, maybe okay. that's the way wrestling is going and it's just, <laughs> it's just passing me by. Um, but no, anyway. uh, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, yeah. No. Real quick. What do y'all think? Uh, I'm, I apologize for missing this part, but I'm, I imagine y'all talked about the Usos promo. Yeah. Nope, you don't get to go back. You missed it. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'll move forward and give you my opinion. I, I, I'm, I'm just not behind it. I can't do it. I, I just, I, I'm not. You don't I'm like them? I, I love the Usos in the ring. Their promo is just, uh, I can't. I really? I can't connect to it. No, I can't. I can't connect to it. Here's what I told Raj really quick. I'm going to try to take up their time. I apologize, Raj. But <laughs> what, I, what, I told, what I told Raj earlier was, I think that they've been getting good reviews from their promos. I really do. And I think this week they gave them a little bit more more, more run time to say what they want as versus being maybe a little bit more scripted. I can see that. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. I, and, I mm-hmm. think, and I think they still need a little direction, obviously, because some of those promos that they do, I'm sitting there going, holy sh! like they're the best talkers on SmackDown right now. I, I, yeah. think, I think they just need a little bit more – kind of call and response you know what i mean because a lot of times with the promos those that type of format works because you know it, it, the kansas city crowd was just really disconnected when they were just start talking about uh what jay say he said uh lemonade kool-aid and uh some of that purple stuff i'm like what are you talking about dude i, mean, like, I, th- I, I thought their delivery was great i think the problem is is that 
there was no point to it. And I think what the problem right now is the Usos don't have a few. So it's like, do they just not have them on TV at all? Do they have them? And they have like three other tag teams on, you know, SmackDown. So it's like, do they just have the Usos squash from tag team uh, that they've already faced a bunch of times? Or do we just have them go out and do something to fill some time that at least gets them out there until their feud with the Bludgeon Brothers kind of kicks in? Yeah, I can see that too. That makes sense. When they were... When they were cutting promos with the New Day, it was better to me, but now it's just like up in the clouds. Like there just there's no rhyme or reason to just you know cutting promos. You know, back in the day, you know we 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 experienced you know because you know what Ric Flair at the at the you know Coliseum, you know they you would they would tell the person and tell where where you're going to be at on Saturday night. You know what I mean? Only, and yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? And it was, it, it was who, a, what, when, where, why in the exactly. promo, every promo. Yeah. Exactly. There was a connectivity there that the fans had. But with, with the Usos, sometimes it, it's just kind of up in space somewhere. But you got to admit, they don't give the guys anymore anything to sell. There was That's nothing correct. for the Usos to There was no business at hand for the Usos to sell to the audience tonight except them. Yeah, because right now they're they're starting this Bludgeon Brothers feud, but they're doing it just teasing it right now. And then you know they're gonna obviously have the Bludgeon Brothers attack the Usos or do something, but they don't want to get there yet. So it was just a a, a way to kill time. I'm okay with the tease. I I think that that I think that that adds a little bit more depth to it instead of just throwing out the feud. Yeah, Um, I'm actually totally fine with that. Um, I just, I just think that it was, and I agree. It makes a lot of sense, Matt, what you're saying, as far as their, their promos probably getting some good positive reviews backstage. And then they're giving a little bit more mic time. It's just, you got to kind of put some rhyme and reason with it, in my opinion. Yeah. So after we, the Daniel Bryan top 10 list, <laughs> the new day, uh, you, you knew Biggie was going to get in a jab at Corey Graves and, yeah. and Booker T. So he said something about uh, them being ranked number six. And he goes, uh, six, that's the percent of chance I give Corey Graves in a street fight. <laughs> that was, that was Even though six, can, six seems kind of high. But yeah, yeah, I agree. Probably point six. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, so we had that. Uh, one thing, I, I got a couple DMs regarding me saying you know, the Corey Graves Booker T stuff is not a work with people saying, oh, you really think Booker T is going to attack Corey Graves on the street? When I say it's not a work, I mean, it's not something that WWE, WWE has planned and right. is leading to a match. I, like, if, if Booker is trying to get something out of it or building it up to get more people listening to his podcast, that's one thing. I don't know what Booker's intentions are. But when I say it's not a work, it's not WWE planning this out. It's not Booker T and Corey Graves working an angle. It's right. Booker. What for whatever reason? It seemed to me that he was he's t- he's ticked at Corey. Believes Corey is the reason. Uh, really threatened him. Then wanted to back off a little bit, so changed it to challenging him to a fight. And when he realized he's saying stuff that could get him in trouble, then changed it. Talk, you know, changed it to a WrestleMania match and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But it's not something WWE is planning or it's going somewhere. Yeah, it may be a work shoot on Booker's end, but definitely not sanctioned by the WWE. It just seems as if Booker really, you know, he really wants to take him to the streets, as he would say. And, you know, he that's that's probably 100 percent legit. But he but at the same time, at the end of the day, he's trying to uh, create stories for people to you know, make him to, to, to talk about him. And he's done that. <laughs> he, he's done that. I don't know. Um, 
how I don't know what it would do with this WWE status. That, that's a lot of, I had a lot of questions uh, about that from people on my show last night. What does that do with this WWE status? I'm not sure, but it definitely got some people talking about him. Uh, so I, that worked for him in that, in that aspect. Like, oh, oh, go ahead, Matt. It's one of two things. It's what you said earlier to a degree. It's, it's one of two things here. Okay. It's Booker go, except going into business for himself trying to get something out of this. Um, or he was being very serious as him wanting to beat the holy hell out of Corey Graves, which is what I think it was. Mm-hmm. Could be another thing, too, with Booker. You know, people pointed out that Booker's praised Corey Graves on Twitter in the past. Things change, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because you like someone a year ago doesn't mean uh, you like him today. But it's clear they would, that... Brett and Sean, for sure. Yeah, That's exactly. Perfect example. Yeah. yeah, it's clear that Booker was getting annoyed as hell with Corey on commentary over, you know, like the last several months. And um, it could be a thing that he just wants it out there, that Corey is the reason why he lost his job and not because he sucked. Mm-hmm. So is he no longer part of WWE at all? No, he is. So supposedly he's still supposed to work the kickoff shows mm-hmm. and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. like the Ambassador King. work. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm wondering if WWE has a talk with him because I'd be, I'd be worried about using him if he's sending threats to, you know, current employees. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, so. Off that tangent. Um, so next we went to Rusev versus Bobby Roode. Um, Bobby Roode's the face. Rusev's the heel. But everyone's chanting for Rusev and, and going for Rusev. Told um, you they shouldn't have done this. Told you they shouldn't have done this. Yeah. So do you guys think that fans legitimately like Rusev or they like the Rusev Day gimmick as something kind of fun and ironic and they, they find it cute and, and, and it's that as opposed to Rusev himself? Yes, the second. Yeah, B. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. B for me as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can, when people ask why WWE is not pushing Rusev more, I think they probably think that too, you know, that it's not Rusev himself. Rusev himself is not getting the fan following, but this gimmick. The biggest if fear. You go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You sure? Um, uh, yeah. the, the, the biggest fear, guys, would be this. Okay, so let's listen to the Rusev Day chance. Let's take the U.S. title off of Bobby Roode. And now you put it on Rusev, I assure you, three, four weeks into it, it's not what it was. The fan, the, the fans, you know what I mean, chanting and being excited and, yep. and whatnot. I'm telling you, it dies. And now you just killed Bobby Rudolph. In the That's exactly well. right. 100%. 100% right. I totally agree with that. And we saw that in a mixed match challenge when he got booed during his uh, promo with uh, Lonnie. He said, don't boo me. You know what I mean? And it's Bam. like. And that's and that just goes to show, like I, I would I, I really think I strongly think that the WWE is very meticulous in eyeing stuff like that, and they probably there are probably some discussions saying well maybe we should take this a little further and see where this goes, but when they once they see that they're just booing Rusev without calls during this mix match challenge promo with Lana, there are some reservations there. You know this Rusev they probably won't last very long. Yeah, is Rusev himself going to get you to care for a match? I think he can. We've been talking for years. He's so they, talented, yeah. Yeah, we've been talking for years how they should turn him babyface, use his natural wit, and and you yep. know, and use that for his character. But it's got to be him and not just something cute that they can't, you know, that Aiden English and, you know, they scripted one day that fans took to. Right. 
And I think he will get there. I mean, you're, you're starting to see more and more of his personality coming out. So, and him getting more promo time where he doesn't have to be this anti-American, uh, just Nikolai yeah. Volkov heel. And he's right. starting to right. be more funny and he's naturally very funny. So mm-hmm. it's a good thing for him, but I, I kind of see where WWE is coming from right now is it's not a, people are not buying tickets to see Rusev. They just have fun with it right now. It's but a fad. It's a fad is what it, it is. Good call. And, and the part about I don't like, though, is as, as meticulous as they are, why put Bobby in that spot to begin with? Why? Right. Why? True. Yeah. yeah. And, and with Bobby, <laughs> with Bobby, you know, Cody Rhodes had an interesting tweet, you know, this week about how Vince McMahon doesn't hold back any talent. Pretty much the, you know, that Vince pushes talent where he sees them. And, and you know, Bobby is you know, he's not lighting things on fire. Is that how much of that is the right. way he's booked? I mean, we, we keep talking about how he should be a heel, but at the he's same not, time, absolutely. is he doing enough as a babyface? Like, can he do stuff as a babyface character to get himself uh, kind of out of where he's at right now? I'll, I'll, I'll take really quick. I'll, I'll go through this quickly as to why he is doing everything because he's not used to being a babyface, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you're supposed to play to everybody's strengths and hide their weaknesses, all right, as Booking 101 goes. Bobby is a badass heel, true and through. He's a, he's a, he is a quarterback in that match, no matter who he's in there with. He can lead any of us to a That is the heel's job. You keep him heel. And, and because he's not used to being a babyface, he has no choice but to go with what the crap they've written for him because he doesn't know who he is as a babyface, quite frankly, yet. You know he doesn't. So he's feeling himself out as we speak on TV when the easier path would have been let him be who he knows he is, that villain, that heel, that, that, that Arn Anderson style of, of, of gritty heel who cuts great promos, by the way, as a heel. Um, the whole I got more money than you. St- the whole, we saw it in NXT. Um, he's great at that. So that is, in my opinion, them hindering him. Yes. Let me ask you this, Matt. Um, great point. And let me ask you this, though. With people like Bobby Roode and, and you know, Chris Jericho's alluded to this before. Seth Rollins has uh, alluded to this as well, among others. Do you think maybe Bobby Roode likes the challenge of becoming the baby face? Because he knows, he knows his ace in the hole is that yeah, heel character. But, you know, a lot of times he's 40 years old. Maybe he likes just challenges and, and something that are kind of add more layers to his character. Do you think that he's embracing that? If, if I was wanting to make him look better in front of the front office, I'd say yes. Mm-hmm. However, in real world, no. Because of the fact he's 40, because of the fact it's taken him this long to get to WWE, yeah. which is BS to begin with, here's his chance. He wants to cash in with what he knows best and what he's best at so he can hit the ground running, not the unknown. No effing way. No. Yeah, and he, let's let's be clear. He's It's not his choice to be a babyface. That's WWE right. giving him that role. And I think the glorious entrance is hurting him because because they gave he has that entrance, I'm sure they're like, okay, fans are going to pop for this entrance, so right. let's make him a babyface anyway. I think turn him heel and have him – I know people are going to get mad at this, but have him get a new it thing. Would work. Get him a heelish theme. Oh. You know? I was going to say, let him do what he was doing in NXT. Let him do what he was doing on NXT. I'm lost, though, right? No, no, we can hear you. Um, On NXT, he was being cheered while being a heel, right? So that's all you had to keep him doing. 
Yeah, but of, they should have just stayed out of the way of what was working at NXT, in my opinion. Yeah. I get real critical about that stuff, though. Because, Me too, uh, because it's a different vacuum audience. I get that. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of but, times when the heels get cheered, I think it poops on the baby face. It doesn't put the baby face over. That's part. That's true. Yeah, that, yeah, that's the only reason why I would say get rid of the glorious theme is so but that's it gets why that heel you, reaction, like all the way from the beginning to the end, right. as opposed to you book, fans loving the entrance and then... Guys, mm-hmm. you book him against heels is what I'm saying. You book him against heels, but you let him... Bobby, nothing changes. You act like a heel. You act like you did at NXT. You just we're gonna line you up against a ton of different heels. Mm-hmm. Do so not like change your Pop, game. Like Austin yeah. and Punk. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, I can see that. You stop smiling like you're a, a 18-year-old teen heartthrob. And- that's right. Vince. Anytime you see guys overly smiling like him and Finn, I'm telling you, that's Vince. Vince yeah. believes every babyface should smile when they walk down to the aisle and they're having the time of their life out in the middle of that ring. Yeah, and it just does not fit when you got someone with that robe. That robe, when I see it, it's Ric Flair, Paul yes. Like I'm better than you. Like, yes. I'm above. And to have that and be smiling like you know, you're kissing babies, it, it just no. doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. I like the idea, Matt, as far as the uh, baby face with an edge type of character. I, I, I think that that would work. I'd like to see Bobby Roode start a stable like he did, you know, like they had Fortune back in TNA. And, uh, you know, get. I, I'd like to see him complete heel, personally, because I think that's where he's most effective. Yeah. I think him and AJ, I think he could really bring, make AJ even more of a baby face, you know. and Definitely. And just be this guy that you love to hate. So, I don't know. Yeah, you got to ditch that glorious interest, though. If that if that's the case, that's for sure. Yeah, which I'm sure they'd have a hard time doing because it's so so over. Yeah. Um. So we had the so afterwards, Bobby Roode, um, Bobby Roode won glorious DDT, clean win. Um, Aiden English is checking on Rusev as Roode is celebrating. Boom! Randy Orton out of nowhere with an RKO. His RKOs have been pretty sweet lately, yeah. uh, with the, with the ones out of nowhere. Um, then he hit English next, and Rusev after that. So I'm guessing it's going to be Bobby Roode and Randy Orton. So we're talking about that babyface versus babyface thing uh, again. I see fans cheering Orton over Roode in this one. Me too. I hope not, but I I, I do too. Well. Yeah. To be fair, I think uh, Root. If if you watch again, Root got a pretty good reaction when he beat Rusev um, at, at on SmackDown. I just like I said with Nakamura a few weeks back. I'm not a fan of Orton just kind of uh, you know stomping on any type of babyface reaction that Root is getting by doing an RK out of nowhere on him. I, I, I don't think he. I don't think he. I don't think he can afford to do that right now with, with Bobby Root. I think yeah. you're investing in his character. And to for 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 Orton, a legend, a shoe and Hall of Famer, yeah, to do it, you know, to archive archive people like Nakamura and Rude. He don't I don't think it. you can afford to do that right now. And Orton don't need it anyway. He don't. He don't yeah. at all. Plus, it makes Orton look like the real star in that because exactly. you hear the reactions that Rude gets, and Orton comes and he's getting the superstar reaction. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, it just stomps all over it. I don't. Yeah. I, I, I'm not a fan of it. Maybe, hey, maybe this is uh, the feuds with Orton. This is the where you know Rude starts to turn. Could be, yeah. All I right. So. so next we got Shelton Benjamin, and Chad Gable uh, backstage making fun of uh, the Fashion Files and gimmicky tag teams. Um, and this week they said they're going after the Ascension. So we had that next. Shelton Gable, Chad. 
um, Shelton Benjamin, Chad Gable versus the Ascension. Uh, Benjamin Gable hit, getting the win. Um, I, I, it was it was what it was, but I thought Gable and Benjamin looked good. Uh, Matt, I got nothing to add to that. <laughs> I'm being serious. It's yeah. exactly what you just said. It was what it was. Yeah, Chris Solid match. Yeah, I think they're right. I think they kind of want to put Benjamin and Gable in reserve right now. Just kind of add up some wins. Just you know, just uh, mm-hmm. to kind of hand them off over to the Usos and look good, which is good. I'm, I'm fine with that actually, because it, it kind of sometimes. I mean, we talked about this with Ziggler and other people. When you keep having a bunch of wins and losses, and, and Elias is one of the people as well. When you keep having a bunch of losses or fifty fifty. It doesn't really make you look good going into the next feud, and if you have a bunch of wins on reserve, it, it builds you it builds you up as a team. So I, I'm definitely fine with it. I think right now Benjamin Gable's like that. They've got enough wins in their column to make themselves look like a legitimate team, and I think WWE's actually doing a pretty good job with that. Yeah. Um, all right. So up until this point, for the most part, this uh, episode felt like. Just a replay of last few weeks. Like nothing really, nothing really new. Um, I thought it was worse than the last few weeks, except for the main. Yeah, exactly. And then I thought the main event was fun. Uh, the problem I have with SmackDown main events in general is because with Raw you have the over, so you don't know exactly when the pin is coming. You know when mm-hmm. the finish is coming. Uh, with the SmackDown main yes. event, if there's eight minutes to go, you know you're not buying the the near fall. That's a good cut. point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, so there were a couple of near falls here, but you you just you just knew it. Um, mm-hmm. So, Sammy and Kevin Owens, uh, this turned out to be a real match. It wasn't a, a swerve. Told you, uh, <laughs> right, yeah, uh, it was it was a really good match. I, 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 uh, the, towards the end, we saw Sammy blocking the pop up power bomb uh, and dropped Owens on his head and then hit a blue thunderball, but Owens kicked out. Uh, Owens rolled out to the floor. Sammy. Followed, started talking trash to AJ. AJ tells Sammy to finish the match and then uh, just decides to deck Sammy and then deck Owens, apparently not knowing what causes a DQ. <laughs> um, again, I thought AJ looked kind of foolish here. Uh, again, you know, he's the side story. They, they would never do this with like a Steve Austin or even a Roman Reigns where no he, he's, you know, this far um, of a side note. But uh, that kind of was that. After that, uh, AJ took Sammy and Owens in the ring, attacked him. Uh, Daniel Bryan came out, announced that Fastlane, the, the main event will be a triple threat uh, with AJ against Owens and Zayn. So almost the same thing as the Royal Rumble, except it's a triple threat as opposed to a handicap match. Um, Bryan's he's a kid. AJ isn't happy. And, and that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. So, um, Yeah. What do you guys? Uh, what do you guys think of this this main event? Yeah, it was a good match. Um, I mean, but Sammy Zayn and Kevin Owens always uh, Kevin Owens always put together good matches um, against each other. Um, I, it's just it's just the same story with. I mean, I don't know. Just Kevin Owens versus Sammy Zayn. They they have a fantastic matches every time, but it's kind of overkill to me, to be honest with you, and. Um, this angle to me is just like, what will it end? Because I don't think it's really helping AJ. I mean, it's helping yeah. Sammy a lot, but it's not yes. helping AJ whatsoever. And that, and and if anything, 
it's supposed to help AJ Styles because he's a WWE champion. I don't think it's helping him at all. No, this, well, I wish it was helping him. Sorry, I wish it was helping him, but it, it's not. And, and sometimes that's okay as far as your heavyweight champion helping get somebody else ready or get somebody else over. Um, but, uh, yeah, Sami Zayn's the one who's coming out of this the best. Um, Nick, we said this earlier in the show that I went, we went off on a tangent about it. They keep making AJ look like an idiot, a fool at times, and, and it's a shame. It really is a shame. And AJ is one that does need to be scripted for. He does. Um, but it just shows, and I hate saying this, I hate saying the same thing because it sounds like we always shit on writers. That's not, the, that's not what we're trying to do here. That's not what I'm trying to do. But unfortunately, it does point to lackluster writing. It just mm-hmm. does because it shouldn't be brain surgery to write for AJ. Your job is to make him talk about things he's passionate about. And if he's not passionate about your job is to camouflage that and make it look like he's passionate about it somehow. That's the job. That's not what's happening here. They're making him look like a crybaby. Well, I was saying if he was a heel and the, and the non-champion in this equation, it would work with him coming out and acting like a little baby. Oh, you lost me, didn't you? Um, no, we can hear it. Acting like a little baby in front of, you know, complaining about Daniel Bryan. And, and Shane McMahon and getting these hissy fits with it. It's, it just it doesn't look professional. doesn't make him look like the man. does not right. make him look like the champion. It's something yeah. Kevin Owens should be doing, quite frankly, his character. Yeah, I agree. Um, Why can't we just get Sammy versus uh, AJ? I mean, this is going to be a filler match anyways. Why can't we just get straight out Sammy versus AJ at Fastlane? Why, why, would, why did it have to be a triple threat? Hey, you know what? You could you, you could add the stip that since Sammy and Kevin, you know, are mild, mildly on the outs, that Kevin Owens is a special ref. Like Daniel exactly. Bryan makes him the the ref. Then yes. that adds a, a bunch of intrigue to it. Like, you know, how do they do that finish then? Especially if they're, yeah. especially if this is leading to them at WrestleMania, which I hope it's not, but it, perhaps it is. It just it, it makes sense if somehow Owens uh, allowed. Um, you know, uh, AJ to win, but, but not, you know, purposely. And then, you know, there you go. Then that's when they kind of, uh, the dissension happens and Kevin Owens has the same breakup best friend angle that he had before with Jericho. I, I hope they don't do that though. I like them together. I'd I like to, I'd rather see them as a tag team going after, uh, facing the Usos for the titles or, I agree. or something like that. Yep. Uh, even though I guess it's a little step down from work in the main event. But um, uh, real quick, oh, oh God. Uh, next week, they just announced, just no, no buildup, no storyline. Dolph Ziggler's facing Baron Corbin. Oh. So, um, so, so when people would ask me why I thought Dolph Ziggler was winning the Royal Rumble, I was like, well, it made no sense that Ziggler just vacates the U.S. title and leaves, and they take him off the road and change booking plans for all these house shows for the next couple months. For no reason. Uh, so the only thing that made sense to me is that he comes back, wins the Rumble, has a match with AJ, um, because they'll throw the, the bone to Ziggler here and there. And since that match isn't going to be the main event of Mania anyway, you know, a lot of times the SmackDown World Title match is the opening match. Right. Uh, it, it gives you a good match. And there's a reason why they did this storyline. I, for the life of me, cannot figure out why they did this storyline. They just had Dolph quits or seemingly quits, just comes back for no reason at the Rumble. And now he's just back, and he's facing Baron Corbin. Yeah. 
Does this make any sense? Like, how do you make any sense out of this? No. It seemed like an audible was pulled on on this one here. Would you agree that, Matt? Was there anything real that we don't – maybe there's some things we don't know about. I mean, is there – was there any type of thing that he did? Did he do something wrong? Is his contract up? Are they negotiating? Is there something we don't know about? As as far as I I remember when he re-signed – was it last year or two years ago? But it was like a three-year deal. So he he still has time on his on his contract. Uh, there was talk of him and being the one to answer Bobby Roode's U.S. Open challenge at the Rumble, um, and then they changed that. Then they changed that to Adam Cole, I guess. And then they decided they didn't want to beat Adam Cole, uh, you know, on the kickoff show. So then they changed that to Mojo Rawley, which was probably the worst of the three options. But that that would make zero sense for Ziggler to vacate. U.S. title only to come back to challenge for it. So anyway, there's you talk about <laughs> booking a guy into nothing. Uh, this this storyline just hurt Ziggler that much more. So feel bad for the guy. And is he if if it's Corbin, one of the most obnoxious heels on SmackDown, purposely, which is effective. He's an obnoxious heel. People don't like him. That's what heels do. How does that help? Ziggler as a heel. Unless he goes against a heel. Yeah, unless unless they do some sort of angle or something, um, you know, where he walks, he won't do the match and or something. It could be. Yeah, that could be. That would be good. Uh, Hopefully, that's the case. (laughs) Uh, They could. uh, They should have held him off if they if they didn't do it at Rumble. I think they should have held him off until uh, Fastlane and uh, interrupted Bobby Roode and then you know take this over to Mania. You know, maybe like a, a ladder match for with both titles up in the air or something like that, you know, similar to uh, Razor Sean. Uh, that would have made it okay as far as a culmination of the angle. But now it's just like it doesn't help anybody. I guess, I guess that's the theme of the show. Who does it help? When we see two people or two teams, is it helping anyone? And it definitely doesn't. It's not helping Ziggler whatsoever. Yeah. Um. Real quick, uh, a little programming note. So, um, for listeners to our of our Wednesday show, um, for for the audio version of the podcast, we're going to be trying something new. Um, where after the show's over, if you download the audio version, you'll also get an interview. Um, because we do a ton of interviews, the audio usually ends up uh, getting lost, and uh, you know we we, we do make stories out of them, but the audio kind of goes by the wayside. So we're going to start adding the interviews to our Wednesday podcast. And uh, today, the first one will be with Eric Bischoff. I spoke to him this week, uh, former WCW president. Two parts for part one today. Uh, it'll have him talking about being at Raw 25, running into Vince McMahon, uh, really being unhappy with TNA. He he feels like this reboot's not going to work. He thinks uh, the TNA executives don't understand wrestling. Um, you're talking about my comments about New Japan not striking when the iron's hot and maybe, believing maybe it was the right move to just do one show. Uh, how big of how wrestling would be different? How how much would wrestling be different today if Nash and Hall never jumped to WCW and the NWO started and they had stayed with WWF? Uh, Carl, Carl Malone, Dennis Rodman in uh, WCW and, and that angle. And that kind of led into talking about Ronda Rousey. Uh, his concerns with Rousey. Um, you know how she's changed since losing her UFC fights. Um, so really fun stuff. Really uh, a guy who uh, doesn't always uh, get a lot of the credit for the the current modern state of wrestling, as far as being the first to re- you know go to two hours and having monthly pay per views and 
and really getting WWE to make these changes to kind of what wrestling is today. Uh, Matt, you've, you've worked with Eric, right? Yeah. Okay. And, um, yeah. So anyway, so check that out. Um, and, uh, the part one will be today. Uh, so talk about Ziggler. Um, let's see here. What else do we got? 205 mixed match. Mixed match challenge. So <laughs> mixed match challenge was Goldust and Mandy Rose against Jimmy Uso and Naomi. I didn't I, when I heard about it I didn't really care about this match but watching it it was it was like a live event in that it was right. the first 10 minutes there was like no wrestling but it's really fun and it's just uh you know uh Jimmy and Goldust trying to upstage each other with the affection they're receiving from their partner which led to Jimmy kissing Naomi and then Goldust starts to go to Mandy for a kiss Mandy's accepting and then you get a roll up, and and then that's that was kind of the start of the match. But this reminded me of like uh, the dark show main events after a, after right. a raw or a you know a, a live event match. What what do you guys think? You're either gonna love it or you're gonna lo- you're gonna hate it. I'm I'm entertained when um, character driven stuff in the ring or comedy even is done very well. This was done very well. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Um, I think it was the the best one that made sense, you know, cause it, it should be just kind of, you know, comedy, you know, the mixed match challenge, there's no rhyme or reason to it. And except for a charity that we know we're going to give, you know, that money to, because it's predetermined, you know I mean? That's, that's really the payoff to this. Um, but I immediately thought of a Harlem Globetrotters game. I don't know if you ever watched or <laughs> saw Harlem Globetrotters game. This, that's ex- that's exactly what I thought about when I thought about this. Just a bunch of comedy, hardly ever playing any basketball, <laughs> but the, the people love to see the Harlem Globetrotters because it's all about doing, you know, uh, basketball spins on your finger, you know, mm-hmm. just doing some type of quirky stuff, and people love it. And uh, this that's that's what I saw when I saw this match, and I think it worked. And, I mean, kind of the mix max challenge should be that. I mean, there's no, like I said, there's no payoff. It doesn't build into any storyline. It should be comical. No. And the and the promos leading up to it, it's not like we need to win. You know, they're they're all built on comedy anyway. So right. yeah, might as well continue it. So uh, it was fun. So I, I'd recommend checking it out. Viewership was actually up this week, twenty five percent. The live viewership it peaked at around seventy seven thousand, seventy eight thousand mm-hmm. in that neighborhood. Um, so again, I, I gotta think Facebook watch isn't pleased with those live numbers by the end, like last week's show ended up getting 1.7 million viewers, the same as the week before premiere was 1.9, but the, you know, the, those numbers, you got to take them with a grain of salt. Cause those include people just checking, you know, just clicking on it for a second or watching just mm-hmm. the end or, you know, and exactly what networks care about is live viewership. And that's why sports are getting you know such you outrageous know. fees is because of the live viewership numbers. So. Those, uh, I don't see Facebook making a big play for Raw um, and, and the WWE TV deals off of these numbers. Yeah. So uh, we had 205 Live. Um, you know, they had Rockstar Spud last week. They said they were going to turn it around. Um, I thought this was a really good episode of 205 Live. I thought the crowd sucked, but they haven't really given the yeah. crowd reason to be into the show for a while. But I thought this, I mean, the opener saw Kalisto defeat Lindsay Dorado. This match I thought was awesome. awesome. A couple blown spots, but it was, I thought it was really good. Me too. That was my favorite match, actually. I love that match. 
yeah, it was, I mean, I, I would say, you know, go out of your way to see it. It was, it was really good. Lindsay Dorado. I, I hope they do more with him because that guy can go. Um, Chris, did you happen to check it out? Not all of it. Um, but I, as far as the crowd is, is concerned, I think, I think when you put, uh, two hours of SmackDown and then 20 minutes of Mixed Match Challenge and then at the tail end, 205 Live. I mean, I'd be checked out too. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then they did uh, the, the, what we were talking about earlier, uh, this backstage video on Roderick Strong talking about like this yeah. tough upbringing, his, uh, you know, his mother shooting his father. Yeah. 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 I mean, they went real and it, it was so effective, I thought. You know, I never, I never understood, other than him being really good in the ring, what so many of like the Ring of Honor fans liked him for. I really didn't get it. He was very vanilla to me um, as a persona, you know. But with that backstory, I was like, holy crap! Like that's some serious stuff he went through. Yeah. And the name Strong, you know, it is really the proper last name for him. You know, it really is. And uh, I, I care a hell of a lot more about him now to know what he's gone through as a human being. Right. You know what I mean? It makes you yeah. automatically bite into that. Like that is to bite into that steak or that burger is 10 times bigger than it was before. Yeah. And you get into that stuff way more than him talking about how he needs to have his WrestleMania moment or pointing at the sign right. and that cheesy kind right. of stuff that, yes. you know, automatically connects and doing more stuff like that, I think would go a long way. They're treat- it's treating it like sports. Right. Mm-hmm. They did the same thing with uh, him in NXT, uh, building him yeah, remember as a number one contender match. Yeah, um, and I th- and it really, really worked. It just I don't know. I've had him on my show before. I mean, he, he's just kind of I've talked to him off air. He's kind he's kind of like that in real life too. It just it's not really yeah. any highs yeah. or lows. You know what I mean? Just kind of you know. Yeah, it, we've interviewed yeah, him on yeah. Wrestling Inc. before, and it's yeah. uh, it's, it's not a lot of back and forth. It's right, right. Yeah. exactly. But he was a cool guy. I mean, don't yeah, get yeah, me wrong. Cool really, really nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even I've, I've seen him in public and talked to him, and uh, he's just really. Really cool, nice, reserved guy, but not a not a wild he personality. He doesn't have that switch that that, that a lot of people either right. have or don't have, yes. and that switch um, is where you just turn it on times a hundred, and you are this personality. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and, that's and, it and right so there. I, I hope they can yeah. do more other than this one's you know background story with him. I don't know how you do it because at NXT they didn't really. They weren't able to really do it, right? After they filmed that, they showed that vignette about his family and his upbringing. Mm-hmm. Okay, you got my attention. I'm at the edge of my seat now. I want to watch this guy. I'm, I'm interested. And then after his, then he lost. Know, <laughs> <what's> <laughs> yeah, that's really where it went. He lost. Yeah, I mean, fans liked him, but he, they what's, never got into him like a main event level, right? What's his shtick? The, the, the backbreakers, right, or something? Yeah, yeah. This, uh, Variations of backbreakers. Mm-hmm. And, and this, okay. you know, the, the strong lock is like a uh, um, kind of like a lion tamer. Uh, but but as far but as far as his variations of how he goes into backbreakers are insane. So mm-hmm. they try to influence. They try to emphasize the emphasis that when he was in NXT at first. Mm-hmm. But they need to start doing. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is to make him not look vanilla. The ring jacket doesn't help. No. <laughs> that scream that screams eighties vanilla. Right. The young stallions or something. Hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. He has, I mean, he's, he's great in the ring. I mean, he, I've watched him for years and I've watched a lot of his stuff from PWG and, and ROH back in the day and great in the ring. It's just that, I mean, he was a part of a stable. He was a part of the, um, oh goodness, uh, house of truth. And he was there. Um, it was better because he was still kind of yeah. like a vanilla character, but uh, Truth Martini was a yeah, good Truth Martini, right. Yeah. Yes. And that helped him a lot. And that's where maybe, like, if they ever did a stable with Bobby Roode, where you have, you, then you could put, like, guys that are great workers but aren't necessarily outstanding personalities. You know, like, Horseman would always have guys in there that weren't necessarily the, the strongest uh, personalities, but, you know, they sit in the back room, you know, background and laugh and smile and just laugh at the heel stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you could do something like that with them. Yeah. I like Roode and Strong. I like that. I like that idea. Just to yeah, me too. Them too. Yeah. Yeah, you get a couple more. I don't know who the other two are, but I, I, I think the four. Ziggler, I think it's too late for Ziggler. I think he would automatically bring it down. I would say the revival, uh, unless they're too small. Um, what about the guys in NXT? Mm. There's a couple they could bring up into that. Yeah, I mean, authors of pain don't really fit. No, but, um, mm. you, you don't want it to be a bunch uh, of small guys. Sabatelli and um, what's his Tino Sabatelli? What's his uh, partner's name? Oh, to um, give it variation, yes, I would agree with that, right? Because yeah, oh, what's his like what's his partner's name? <laughs> I, I have no idea. I can't. I'm, yeah. I'm forgetting. Offhand. Yeah. Um, but, anyway. but the guy, the guys from the um, what's the what's the stable right now in NXT? What are they called? Undisputed Era. Yes, for instance, those two would be good. And you have those four. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's why you put them with the others. That's why you put them in a stable of four. That's exactly the reason why. Right, but if everyone's small except for Rude, then, you know, we've seen with the stables before. Radicals. When you, don't have a, you need a couple, of, couple of big guys. What about the Radicals? They didn't last that long. The Radicals were split up pretty quick. Well, with their size. Well, that that was yeah. a lot to do but, with um, uh, Guerrero uh, when he entered oh, his, uh, uh, when he got hurt doing that frog splash. Thanks. Was, everyone's pointing out Riddick Moss, by the way. Riddick Jim Moss. Yes, thank you, Riddick Moss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah so, I think those two would be pretty good additions. Yeah. So, uh, so by oh yeah, so Roderick Strong faced today with Tommy. Started off kind of slow, but turned into a really good match. Um, Fans just were so quiet. They they didn't care either way when these guys came out. No. At one point, there was like ten people chanting, "This is awesome!" But that was like it. Um, and they did react for the finish. But man, this was—I thought it was a really good match. I thought this match might be able to turn the fans around, but uh, it didn't happen. There's nothing at that. At, let me tell you, I've been on shows where <sighs> Cena was on Raw and I was on SmackDown, and we had Cena come in to do to do our dark main event. Um, I want to say it was versus Benoit. It, it, and I'm telling you, nobody cared. And it was because it was so late and we <laughs> made the mistake of Brock put, picking up Big Show or doing something really impressive earlier in the show. And, and they were, their energy was spent mm-hmm. just after the SmackDown Live uh, show. So when Cena, John Cena, who was not announced to be there, comes out, I'm not exaggerating, it wasn't like crickets, but it wasn't its normal reaction it gets. People get tired. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I Jesus mean, we said this can come out there. <laughs> <laughs> We've said this a billion times, but they should tape this with NXT or move yes. it to before SmackDown. Um, yes. When fans are more awake. Hey, by the way, real quick, 
I thought of someone that I think would be cool in that Bobby Roode stable. I think you do oh. um, Lars Sullivan. Put him in like that Batista role in Evolution. You and yeah, you I was something. thinking Lars. I was thinking Lars, but I th- he's ugly. I, I don't man. know. I don't know. Yeah, but you could, he would be looking. really good Not by himself as a manager. He's a young dude that you could get. He could get learn a lot from Rude, um, and, and you you know he's the kind of guy they're going to push. So, uh, uh, you know what? Uh, we were having a conversation, I think, or or I was listening to the conversation as far. Yeah, I think we had. We we're talking about Paige managing someone. I was thinking Lars Sullivan. I think she'd be a good manager to Lars Sullivan because he does not need to be on a mic. I remember a few weeks ago on NXT, he was on the mic and he was calling out Killian uh, Killian Dane. Yeah. I said, please do not ever pick up a mic again. It was terrible. He was growling and stuff. Yeah, it was was terrible. Yeah. Remember when Batista, he used to have this. Yeah, was that when you were in OBW, Matt, when he was Leviathan? He was like yeah. uh, this demon. Demon of the deep, yeah. Right. And so he also had that kind of un- unhuman gimmick and then became a, a real person and, you know, a giant superstar. So mm-hmm. maybe Lars, he needs to drop the growling and acting yes. like he's a monster. And um, But, you know, and I think someone like a, something like that could work. But anyway. Um. Check out 205 Live. I thought the last two weeks, it, you know what it seems like to me is like they're letting, um, they're taking the reins off a little bit. They're letting them do their style a little more as opposed to having to work the same style that the main roster does. These seem more yeah. like NXT matches than the, the regular stuff we've been watching. Yeah. I think 205 has the capability to be just as good as, um, just as good as the UK division because UK division is is good um, because it's not overexposed. What's it and called? The UK division with Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what do you mean just as good though? It doesn't really exist. Well, what well, not? The quality of matches could be really okay. good. Yeah, yeah. The quality of matches. Yeah. Well, NXT. You look at the takeover matches; they're unlike anything you see on the main roster. They're really. I mean, the 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 two hundred five matches are good. That's nobody should ever criticize the quality of the two hundred five matches. Well, before the production is bad. Though. I'll I'll I will because before the last couple of weeks, they have been doing the same style of matches that the main roster does. So it's just watching the same type of matches with smaller guys. So you're seeing them do exactly what Seth Rollins and stuff is doing without, you know. So why watch this show when you're seeing real stars doing that? No, no, the matches are still good, though. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm saying quality as far as not. They don't have bad matches. They have very solid matches. Yeah. But there's there's no personality with 205 Live. Drake Maverick adds to it a bit. But there's no personality with the concept of 205 Live, like NXT, kind of like a indie style uh, thing with with UK, the UK matches, kind of like an indie style feel to it. If 205 kind of builds from the ground up and has that indie feel to it, it could be resurrected. I mean, look at NXT. NXT was trash for for a few seasons. It was when Derek oh, yeah. Bateman and and um, when you had to like, carry a keg to the ring and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With all them people, it was it was terrible uh, when. Uh, Titus O'Neil and Darren Young was on there. It was horrible. And they had to kind of hit the reset button. I think the 205 Live has that capability. They just need to start as soon as possible. Yeah, I agree. Um, So hopefully, you know, if they make the the atmosphere is the biggest thing they need to work on. And whatever, if it's shaping up NXT, 
moving it to 30 minutes, taping it with NXT or doing it before SmackDown, it'll, it'll vastly improve the show. But, yep. yeah. um, and Drake Maverick, he did a promo with Drew Gulak and, um, and Tony, I keep calling him Tony Abs, Tony Nice. And Very uh, good. just chastised him. He was awesome in this. And, yeah, uh, he was good. Yeah, so they're wrestling next week. And then uh, Mark Andrews is wrestling. Oh, God, who's he wrestling? Um, I hate his gimmick. Sorry. It's so stupid. <laughs> um, God, what, who's he wrestling? Anyway, he's, he's wrestling next week, so he's making his 205 Live debut. Um, so What's his it, name? Um, the Japanese guy, right? Um, um, Akira Tozawa, right? Tozawa, right? Hold on. Yeah, Tozawa. Because Tozawa, okay, now he did great. His backstage thing, even though he's using his phone, I thought was funny. <laughs> Where he's doing the Vince McMahon walk? Yeah, yes. it's Tozawa versus Mark Andrews next week. I popped for that. I thought he was funny when he turned to the guys like, who do you want to win? You know, it was funny. It is kind of fun. It's amusing. Those things can be hit or miss. Like Cedric Alexander, they did the backstage 100%. thing. And it seemed realistic. You know, it seemed like he was being himself. Then they did a TJP promo, and it came across as so scripted. So. I that haven't heard anything, uh, Raj. Have you heard anything about Tozawa um, kind of uh, distancing himself away from Titus Worldwide now? Oh, gosh. He, I, I think they've completely dropped that. They, they haven't done anything with that in months. No, I'm saying as far as why. I mean, I, I don't No, no that's just one of their they, – they they, they'll start stuff one week and drop it by the end of the show. <laughs> no, yeah. I think this is, this is one of those cases. I think uh, it helped them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Tozawa's got a lot of personality. Um, so. Anyway, Kane. He does. Yeah. Kane is out for the rest of the month. He's doing a lot of campaign stuff. I don't know if he's injured as well. He Because the fact that his match was so short with Braun almost seemed like he was. But we don't know. Um, but he's out for the rest of the month. He'll be back in March. He's wrestling Brock Lesnar at a couple of live events. One, one in a singles match and another in a triple threat with Braun Strowman. So he'll be back soon. Um, that's about it. Um, guys, can you think of anything else? Kane will get his WrestleMania check, uh, being a part of the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. That's what I see with him. Yeah. Sure. Maybe, maybe he should win. I mean, it, it, yeah, I'm, I'm he doesn't have many years left in him. The winner doesn't really matter anyway, so it'd be a nice little... That's a swan song. <laughs> you don't agree, Matt? He's like my third favorite, you know what I mean? Um, but no. Um, I always say give it to the young guy. But it hasn't helped the young guy. Yeah, Mojo Raleigh. Sorrow, Baron Corbin, and Mojo Raleigh were the three. It, it, it hasn't, but it features them in that moment at WrestleMania at least. Yeah, it, at least in that. that moment, it does feature them. That's true. Yeah, I would have him and I would have Kane and maybe like a up and comer, you know, be the last two, and perhaps you know that that will kind of be a feature type deal. But I think just because it hasn't meant anything, there's no again payoff. There's no payoff to it. No, we know yeah, that. You know, but those thirty seconds of them holding that trophy above their head with the WrestleMania background and the as the backdrop, I'll take that for a young guy over Kane, who doesn't need to win anything at this point. And I'll, I'll argue Baron Corbin. I feel like it did a little something for him. It gave him some steam on the main roster. Um, you know, he he wasn't a low guy on the roster like a Mojo Rawley right now is. He's, no, he was, the, he was the next big thing. Let's be clear about yeah. what we have after this. What's that? Sorry. Not immediately. Not, not he immediately. was expected to be one of the next big young guys on that roster after this. Yes, he was. 
When you no, no. heard rumors of how he was viewed, they liked him a lot. Oh, yeah. He, he won money in the bank. Up. Yeah, he won money yeah. in the bank. Yeah, And yeah. it was clear that it, it, the intention was for him to win the world title when he won money, money in the bank. Right. Yeah, yeah. He mailed yeah, up mean, to a doctor backstage, and, and that changed plans. But uh, Yes. <laughs> you know, so... Yeah. So it could it could mean something. Cesaro that year, they also had plans for him, but that quickly got uh, fell by the wayside. Well, he went to Heyman right after, didn't he? Yeah. But last year was just a way to get Gronk in the ring. Yeah. Uh, anyway. All right. Well, thanks as always, guys. Um, Matt, uh, we'll be uh, back on Monday after Raw, as always. And Chris, you got anything you need to plug? Uh, Pancakes and Power Slam show as always uh, Weekly interviews last week We had Hornswoggle this, uh, Last night we had Brian Cage He's, uh, He talked about his uh, uh, Contract with Lucha Underground and Impact And uh, how that's uh, How that's panning out uh, Being a member of both brands Alright and everyone else listening to this If you're listening on the audio version Up next is the first part of my interview with Eric Bischoff It's a WrestlingInc.com Exclusive Exclusive I'm here with one of the most influential men in uh, modern wrestling today, Eric Bischoff. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Great to be with you. Thanks for the invite. Uh, uh, thanks for thanks for coming on. Um, you were just at Raw 25 a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I wanted to ask, how, how did that go? Uh, well, you know, from my perspective, it went really, really well. Um, I had a blast. I, I got to, you know, spend a little time in New York City, which I always enjoy. Uh, living in Cody, Wyoming, as much as I live, love Wyoming and love living here, uh, it's always nice to be able to get into New York and just uh, look for a good deli or a little bit of great sushi and just hang out. But more importantly, I got to see some, you know, friends I haven't seen in a long time and people that I used to work with step out in front of a crowd of fifteen or 18,000 people in Barclays Center and be a part of a very monumental television event. And for that, I'm, uh, I'm very grateful. It, it definitely is a monumental uh, television event. I, I did want to ask you, though, is it odd um, to be kind of introduced as a, a former GM, uh, kind of just considering maybe not the direct contributions to the show, but all the indirect contributions uh, you had on the show, considering, you know, it was a one-hour tape show with a lot of cartoonish characters back in the day, and, and you kind of changed it to where it kind of looks the way it does today. No, it wasn't weird for me at all. I mean, I was like everybody else on that show um, that was brought back. I, I was a character. I wasn't brought back as, you know, an executive or, or certainly not an executive from another television company, um, I was brought in, you know, because I represented a character uh, on the Monday Night Raw show, and I think that's very appropriate, and it didn't uh, didn't cross my mind that I should think or feel differently. Yeah. Um, did you get to talk with Vince McMahon at all? No, I didn't. I, you know, we were able to say hello briefly, very briefly, uh, but, you know, look, there's a lot going on, you know, on, on a live broadcast and particularly right. that live broadcast being, you know, what it was. And, you know, there were a lot of changes that took place that were out of people's control and everybody had to adjust. And, you know, it's the nature of live television. So I, I certainly didn't go there expecting to uh, to break bread and catch up with Vince McMahon or anybody else that was working on the show, to be to be honest with you. Yeah. When when you're out there and, and you're in front of that live crowd, does it does it give you the itch to to kind of get back and, and, and doing something in the wrestling realm? No doubt, 
It's that's look. There's a lot of things I don't miss about you know being in the industry. Um, and at the top of that list would be travel. Uh, that that's definitely something I've, I've kind of gotten. The, the less I do it, the less I want to do it. Um, but I do miss, you know, I miss two things. I would say, first and foremost, I miss the creative process, which includes not only creating storylines and trying to develop characters and, you know, the obvious, but I really miss directing and producing talent. Uh, that's fun for me. It, it's fun, especially younger talent or talent that, is considered kind of middle-of-the-road talent that hasn't quite broken through yet. Um, when it comes to, you know, interviews and, and their character and communicating with the audience, I love that. Um, and I do love the, the reaction from the crowd, you know, whether it's a, a good reaction or a positive reaction like I received at, you know, on Monday Night Raw, or if it's, you know, my ability to create heat because that's how I've made my money for the largest portion of my career as a character is pissing people off. And I, I miss that. Yeah. Now, um, I, I know you were involved. Uh, you have some legal stuff with TNA. You can't really talk much about that. Is that correct? Is that still the case? Um, it depends what the question is. <laughs> gotcha. I don't want to, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about TNA because no one, since no one spends a lot of time watching impact, which what used to be TNA. I, I don't really want to devote a lot of time talking about it. All right. Well, well uh, my question is, when you went back and when you went there with Hulk, um, TNA, they hit 2 million viewers uh, several times. Their the, the ratings kind of reached all-time highs. Uh, they were doing house shows that were, you know, doing in excess of 5,000 people. It seemed like that was the closest since the end of WCW that we saw there of being a real number two promotion. Do you think I will see something like that again? Well, I, do, do I ever see, uh, first of all, I, I, you know, were we a legitimate number two? Uh, there's an old saying, you know, numbers lie and liars use numbers. <laughs> um, I guess in, in one sense, you could suggest that at that period of time, uh, TNA could have been by considered by some to be number two, but the difference between number one and number two was the equivalent of the distance between number one and number two hundred and twenty-two. Mm-hmm. We we may have been number two, but you know, number one wasn't even on the horizon. Right. Now, that being said. Um, do I see another wrestling company ever achieving the level of success that TNA had at that particular time? I don't think so. Um, I, I think for, for a variety of reasons. Uh, one being that just the television industry, the entertainment industry in general, has changed so dramatically over the last eight years, seven years, mm-hmm. with the 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 growth and the evolution of digital and streaming platforms, the accessibility of so many different types of content from around the world, and the emergence of a lot of independent wrestling, quality independent wrestling, I might add, uh, that now exists on some of those platforms. 
Um, I think all of that, while great on one hand and exciting on one hand, makes it very difficult for someone to put together a promotion and a brand and an initiative that would find its way to a major cable network like Spike was at that time, which is now Paramount TV Network. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and I think without that high-profile cable television platform, it would be virtually impossible to compete anymore at that level. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things you were able to do um, when you took WCW from where it was to you know its all-time heights was you were able to create a product that was very different from WWE. It, it, it looked different. It, the storylines were different. It was more adult-oriented. Um, with, a, with a company like a TNA still right now, um, do you think there's too much... Um, too much sameness to so just almost being another WWE brand as opposed to finding its own uh, niche. With, look, at the risk of sounding cynical or derisive, mm-hmm. which I don't mean to be or to do, uh, there's nobody at Impact Wrestling or Anthem Sports that has the vision, the knowledge, the experience, or the ability to see an opportunity that would allow them to create a brand and a product that would be different enough mm-hmm. to grow an audience and catch the audience's imagination while simultaneously, and this is the art within the art, <clears throat> not turning off the existing fan base. So the, the art is, you know, the, the, the sports entertainment, professionalist, and, you know, audience, whatever you want to call it, is a massive audience. You know, arguably 25 million plus, you know, fans around the world. That's mm-hmm. a great thing. Um, the difficulty is how do you appeal to them, but at the same time present something that's different enough to catch, capture their imagination without alienating what they love, if that makes sense. Right. And that takes that takes a unique talent and and vision and more importantly, a real understanding of not only the wrestling business, you know, there are people there at Anthem who have spent a cup of coffee um, in a small closet, you know, called the wrestling business in their own little world. And again, I know that sounds derisive, but I'm trying to paint a picture here. Mm-hmm. You know, the people that are involved in it have never played on a large stage, have never dealt with major networks, have never faced the challenge of appealing to a large audience. None of them have ever really dealt in the business of the wrestling business on a major scale. So it's impossible for them to have the experience and the knowledge because they've never done it. They've never been exposed to it. Mm-hmm. Likely they've never even been in a room where it's been discussed. They probably haven't even had the luxury of bringing coffee to a room full of executives and overhear the business of the business being discussed. So as derisive you know, as that sounds and negative as that sounds, what I'm really trying to say is there's nobody there that has the background and experience to see that opportunity. So is it likely that it'll happen? Maybe, you know, sometime in the next, you know, half million years, but not any time in our future. Yeah. Now, uh, one promotion that 
you know, it's a cult following, but it, it is uh, getting more and more uh, popular. Is New Japan a uh, company you work with a lot in the past? Um, I, I've criticized them on my podcast because I feel like the iron's hot right now, and they're not striking quite hard enough in the U.S. As far as they uh, they have an upcoming uh, show in Long Beach, they booked one date, it sold out in 20 minutes. Um, you had mentioned on Twitter that you were watching it uh, last October. Have you been keeping up with them much at all? You, you know, I, I do. Uh, you know, I don't follow them religiously. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely have my eye on them. I think they're doing a lot of things right. And look, there's two ways of looking at it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, go back to your point about not striking while the iron is hot. You know, I and I don't know any of the current management at New Japan Pro Wrestling. When I was doing a lot of my business with New Japan Pro Wrestling, it was, you know, Mr. Baisho, who has since passed away, who was, you know, kind of the business guy, you know, was one of the top executives there. Obviously, Antonio Noki was somebody that I did a lot of business with. Uh, Masa Saido was somebody that I worked with very closely. You know, there were a number of people within the office, the executives that I worked with very, very closely, who are no longer there. So, I'm, I'm not, even though I used to work with the company in New Japan, I don't have a long history with any of the people that are currently there. That being said, um, I, I like what they're doing now. And, you know, there's a saying in show business, you know, always leave them wanting more. Mm-hmm. I would much rather see New Japan come in, have a huge hit, you know, have the buzz in the industry that they sold out in 20 minutes, and then not come back again for a while, because that's that, that creates a, a desire that, that makes the audience want to see more as opposed to coming in and announcing a 26 city tour and starting off hot and fizzling out after six or eight nights. Mm-hmm. The only thing that the audience will remember is that it was eh, not that successful. But if they slowly build that audience and they slowly build that following by picking and choosing their markets and picking and choosing their events, and having incredible sellouts and, and you know, critical reviews as a result of their shows, I think that, that slow build will work for them. It won't work overnight, but most things don't. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I did want to kind of go back uh, to WCW real quick. Um, you know, what you had mentioned earlier when uh, uh, about certain websites and stuff, uh, misinterpreting certain contributions, I, I feel like, that way about Kevin Nash a lot. Like people bring up him not drawing during a period where no one drew in WWF. And he was one of the key figures responsible for uh, the hottest, uh, you know, era that we've seen, Um, you know, along with yourself, Scott Hall, Hulk Hogan, uh, you know, your team that you had in place. Um, How different do you, and this is impossible to answer, but still, uh, how different do you think wrestling would be today? If uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall had stayed with WWF uh, in 1996 and not signed over, that's a really good question. You know, it's it's you know kind of a theoretical one, and I normally would shy away from those and you know possibly not even answer it. But <laughs> this is one I this this is one though that I'm I, I'd like to attack here um, because it's a, because it is a really good question and the what. The way I'm interpreting that question to a degree is what would have happened if there never would have been an NWO. Mm-hmm. Because in truth, had Scott and Kevin not made their way over to WCW, I don't think I would have pulled the trigger 
on the NWO storyline. I had the idea, the, the framework of the idea, I had had in my head for quite some time. And despite what people think they know or what people have read based on what other people who think they know have said, you know, I didn't rip the idea off from anybody in New Japan. There was no version of the NWO that existed before I launched it here in the United States. I didn't copy anything that I saw while I was doing business in Japan. But what I did do and what I did learn in Japan was the psychology behind reality-based storylines. And I studied closely for a year, 18 months, the difference between the way the product in the United States was promoted at every level and the way it was promoted at every level in Japan. And I noticed the difference, the way it manifested, that, that, that difference in, in promotion manifested itself in the way the audience perceived it, the product, and the way the local media supported the product. I would go over to Japan and be a part of the big New Year's Eve show and, uh, on, a, on a Saturday night, for example, and on Sunday morning, it was the headlines in the Tokyo newspaper. And in the United States, you couldn't get anybody to cover a major major wrestling event. You probably can now a little bit in the entertainment section of the paper. But at that time, you know, back in the 90s, nobody was covering wrestling in any way, shape, or form. You almost had a hard time buying coverage for wrestling outside of the wrestling magazines. So I studied that phenomenon pretty closely. And, and coming away from that experience that I had in Japan, I knew that when the opportunity was right, I wanted to create a storyline that had that sense of reality and believability in it so that the media and the audience would respond accordingly. It was more coincidental, quite frankly, than anything, that while the goal or the desire on my part to create a reality-based kind of believable storyline that would get people talking and get the media to pay attention to it, while that idea was just vaguely bouncing around inside of my skull, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash just happened to become available. And that was the kind of perfect storm, if you will, between two characters who had previously been in WCW before they went to WWF, coming back to WCW after having been made stars so that they could take revenge on the company that didn't treat them right and didn't give them the opportunity that they deserved when they were there the first time. That was the premise of the NWO storyline. And because of just the coincidences and the reality that went along with those coincidences, I was able to kind of manifest the idea that had been brewing in my head for quite some time. Now, if you ask me, you know, what would the wrestling industry be like if none of that had ever happened? I, I think the wrestling industry wouldn't be close to what it is today. I will say, and I know this sounds like I'm patting myself on the back, but as I like to say, um, no brag, just fact, 
if I wouldn't have launched Nitro, if we wouldn't have launched the NWO angle, if we wouldn't have gone live every Monday night and gone head-to-head with the WWE, if we wouldn't have started the Monday Night Wars, if the Monday Night Wars wouldn't have escalated the viewing audience to the phenomenal degrees that it did, I suggest that we might not see WWE today. Because the WWE, going back to pre-1995, was, yeah, it was successful. But I don't think that that format, as it existed then, would have survived through the 90s and, and certainly not to 2018. And I doubt that anybody would have been able to convince anybody in WWE to change that format and embrace what became the Attitude Era, which was nothing more than a reflection I don't want to say a copy, but that's what it was. Mm -hmm. We created the template for that adult-based, edgy, 18 to 34 demo uh, format. And after a year or so of getting their butts kicked, you know, WWE followed suit and did so successfully. And not long after, took the company public. And not long after, it became a billion-dollar market cap company. And not long after, launched their own network. And I think all of those things can arguably, you know, not, not definitively, not, not, not simply because of the NWO and Scott, which started with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, but all of those things combined, I think, were the things that helped propel WWE to the point it is today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, speaking personally, I was a, a big fan of the 80s, and I was just falling out of touch with wrestling around 93, 94. It just wasn't holding my interest. And then I became a, you know, the, the Monday night wars just made me a mega fan again, you know, and I don't, who knows what I would be doing if it, if it weren't for that period. Um, yeah. It, I mean, if you go back, you know, if you go back, you know, on the WWE network, which I love the network for a variety of reasons, mostly because Nitro still exists there <laughs> and people who were, not even born yet, or were too young to remember, can go back and see what a great you know show that really was in some respects. Um, but I've you know I've done a couple things on the WWE Network, you know once or twice a year I'll go back and do something. Else. One of the first things I did, and I think one of the best things I did there, was the very first uh, Legends with JBL mm-hmm. uh, about a year and a half or two years ago. And in the I don't know if you saw it or not, but I did. On that, on that episode of Legends with JBL that, that I did, you know, JBL opened up that, that show, basically, you know, by saying everything that I just said more eloquently and much more succinctly. But he, he basically said if it wasn't for the NWO and Monday Night Wars, it would have been no Attitude Era. There would have been no so-called Steve Austin. There would have, you know, been no live, you know, Monday Night Raw. There, there would have been no reality-based wrestling characters, and there probably wouldn't have been a Mr. McMahon, mm-hmm. which came along about a year after Eric Bischoff became, you know, the heel president of the company. So, you know, in in, in JBL's own words, I think there's some um, truth to the fact that, you know, NWO, certainly starting with Kevin and Scott, Nitro, all of it had a lot to do with what we're seeing today. And, and people like yourself and others who are still making a living, whether directly in the wrestling business or in the ancillary revenue opportunities and jobs that, that exist there, like yours, you know, we all still exist. I'm doing this interview because of it, so I'm grateful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
one of the one of the big things you guys did that I, I feel like doesn't get um, isn't it's not remembered as much, but it was a huge success. Uh, was that pay per view where you had Dennis Rodman and Carl Malone? It, it got mentioned during the Final Fours. Uh, it got just a ton of publicity, and it, it's still remembered for sure. But I think when People think celebrity involvement, they always go to Tyson. Uh, but that was brilliantly done, and it, it got a lot of people talking, and, and it was a big success at the time. Um, how hard was that to put together? And with Ronda Rousey now coming into WWE, if you had to kind of put your Booker hat back on, what would you, um, where, where would you kind of go with that, with booking Rousey? Well, let's... let's I, I, Kind of hard to talk about Ronda Rousey and Carmel and Dennis Rodman. <laughs> yeah, it was all over the place. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I mean, not, you know, yeah. I mean, let me just kind of take them one at a time. Yeah. You know, the, you asked me how tough was it to put together, you know, Rodman and Malone. Um, it really wasn't that tough. Uh, I remember getting a phone call from Hulk Hogan saying that, you know, he got word through whatever contact he had that Dennis Rodman was – you know, thinking about trying to get into wrestling and may have even had a conversation with the WWF at that time. And uh, Hulk had his phone number and said, hey, why don't you give him a shout and see if we can put something together. Uh, I I called. Uh, and actually, Dennis, I didn't talk to Dennis uh, directly. I talked to his manager or agent at the time, a guy by the name of Dwight Manley, who was uh, Rodman's agent. And I think Dennis was much more excited about working with Hulk Hogan than he was, you know, probably working with anybody at WWE uh, because Hulk is Hulk. And it was pretty easy for me to put together the deal with Dennis Rodman uh, through Dwight Manley, who coincidentally uh, also managed Carl Malone. So, you know, Diamond Dallas Page had developed a little bit of a relationship with Carl Malone. I already had a relationship uh, through Dennis Rodman with Dwight Manley. So putting that one together was not that difficult at all. And what made it work so phenomenal, remember, there are a lot of things made it work. You know, let's just start with the timing. We've got the Bulls and the Jazz in the playoffs. <laughs> and at the peak of, you know, NBA awareness and viewership, I'm promoting event, a wrestling event with two of the key players on both teams. Right. That that does that doesn't that, you know that happens you know once every hundred years. Uh, so the timing was fortuitous. You know the relationships you know as a result of you know everybody's work and efforts was great and made it easier. You know the guy Dennis Rodman was you know and he wasn't a reluctant celebrity. Some guys get into it; they're not really sure they want to do it or they're insecure about it. And as a result of being insecure, they become very hesitant and kind of hold back. Dennis wasn't that guy. Dennis embraced it, and so did Carl Malone, by the way. Mm. So much so that I was able to convince Carl Malone and Dennis Rodman to have a little altercations and dust ups. You know, kind of off the court. You know, once the play stopped, and it didn't involve the game, there was a there was enough you know trash talking between the two of them that we were able to kind of encourage. I don't want to say orchestrate because that might get people in trouble, but we were able to encourage it so that we could take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And that, like I said, that probably will never happen again for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Now, Ronda Rousey. You know, that's that's. That's going to be interesting for, 
for me to watch. You know, when we talk about, you know, you say put your Booker hat on or your creative hat mm-hmm. for, for those <laughs> that aren't sure what that means, what Booker hat means. Um, look, I, you know, I said when, when, when Ronda lost her last fight, and she didn't just lose her fight. She got her ass handed to her mm-hmm. badly, um, as she did the fight before that. So her last two fights, the I'm looking for the word mystique. Just, the mystique. That's a great word. The mystique of Ronda Rousey was shattered not once but twice, mm-hmm. and that. That matters. and But I don't think that's what mattered the most. What I think mattered the most was the way Ronda handled it. Mm-hmm. In the press, the way the public reacted to her, the way she reacted to the public. It was, it was, a, it was real sour grapes on her part. She was bitter, and she, she didn't handle that, those losses with the kind of grace that could have endeared her to the audience. She could have been a bigger star and a bigger baby face as a result of those losses than she would have been possibly had she won them. Right. But rather than seizing that opportunity and seeing that opportunity for what it was in that moment and being a gracious loser and acknowledging that she got beat because she got beat by a better athlete on that particular night. Doing that would have made her, she would have gotten more over as a result of that in some ways than she was, you know, just, you know, beating people up as she had, as she had been doing prior to that. So when she, when she crapped all over the media, she, when she crapped all over fans by refusing to do interviews and just being bitter, mm-hmm. It, it turned the audience against her, but not in a way that you can build upon. You know, there's, there's, there's a way of getting heat that works for you, and there's a way of getting heat that works against you. And the heat that she created for herself was the latter. And, and when, after that all happened, went down about 15 months ago and everybody started speculating about Ronda Rousey going to the WWE, you know, I, I came out and said I just think it would be a bad idea because of all the things that we just discussed, and I did. You know, she didn't handle her losses well. The mystique was gone. What is the WWE going to do? Bring her in and have her wipe out half the women's division because she's the baddest woman on the planet? That won't work. Are they going to put her over, you know, as a baby face? Eh, good luck with that. <laughs> you know, so... so, so there's some real creative character challenges there. Now, I think, you know, there are people in WWE that are up to that challenge. There's no doubt about it. You know, they've, they've, <laughs> they've created some great stars. And I think given the time and the patience and acknowledging, you know, where Ronda has been for the last 16, 18 months of her life and, and, and figuring out how to create that character and that storyline, you know, in, in full acknowledgement of that history, I think there's a way to do it, but they're going to have to be careful. And and here's the biggest challenge. And first of all, I don't know Ronda Rousey, but I think she's she's 
charismatic as hell when she wants to be. She's obviously very camera friendly. She's obviously a great athlete. She obviously knows how to train. She knows how to sacrifice. She understands discipline. She has all of the tools that come in the toolbox of a professional athlete, and that's great. She's starting out way ahead of the game in that respect. But how is she going to be able to handle becoming a performer in a scripted environment? And how is she going to learn and, and, and understand and adapt to the challenges of telling a story using physical drama instead of going in and competing physically? Because they're two different worlds. You know, professional wrestling, sports entertainment, whatever you want to call it, is no different than a Broadway play. Except in a Broadway play, actors are using dialogue to tell a story and establish their characters. In WWE, they're using a physical dialogue to tell their story and build their characters. And those are, it, it, and that's a, that's a very unique art. It really is. And how quickly will Rhonda adapt to that, dark, uh, to that art? Um, that remains to be seen. I wish her the best. I mean, she's a beautiful young woman. She's obviously talented. She's an athlete. You know, I really wish her the best. But I think if you go back and look at the last 16 months of her history or 18 months of her history um, and, and the baggage that she's bringing with her, as along with the notoriety, by the way, that she got, and there's great notoriety. Everybody knows her name. But there's some baggage there, too. Yeah. And how that is all kind of, you know, thrown into the big stew pot and how it's all cooked and what other ingredients they add to it. You know, so that we can see how she comes out of that. You know, I'm I'm very excited to see how that evolves. Um, also, you're going to be reuniting with uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall this weekend at Astronomicon. Is that correct? Yeah, Astronomicon. The cool part is, you know, Kevin's a Detroit guy. I'm a Detroit guy. Uh, so yeah, we both get to go back to Motown, hang out, and see some wrestling fans, and talk about the old days, and talk about growing up in Detroit, and all kinds of good stuff. <laughs> so that'll take place uh, this weekend, Sterling Heights, uh, Michigan. And I also wanted to ask you, uh, we were talking about Ted Turner and everything. Is he someone you've kept in touch with at all after WCW folded or was sold? I did, I, I did for a while after uh, WCW folded, a couple of years. And when I say, you know, I did, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, we chatted on the phone twice a week or anything like that. But I was able to stay in, in touch with him um, a little bit. And... He actually did me a really huge favor a couple of years after all that went down. I was putting together a deal uh, for Fox Television with Jeff Gordon, and I went in to pitch the idea to Jeff Gordon initially when it first started. And I sat down with Jeff's dad, his stepfather. I sat down with Jeff's dad, who was handling all of Jeff Gordon's business back then. And I'm laying this all out there, and I'm giving him all the ideas I had and you know, walking him through the PowerPoint. His dad looked at me and said, well, how do I know you're who you say you are? Which I didn't know how to respond to that because Jeff Gordon's dad wasn't a wrestling fan. So I said, gee, well, you know, I, I guess I could pull up some stuff on the Internet <laughs> and prove it. He goes, no, nah, I want you to have Ted Turner call me. So, well, okay, that's kind of a big ask. I mean, I know you're Jeff Gordon's dad and all, but Ted Turner is kind of Ted Turner and I don't have that great of a relationship with Ted. So I got my car, and I thought about it, and I thought, well, what the hell? It doesn't hurt to ask. 
so I reached out to Ted and let him know what my situation was. And uh, while Ted didn't get on the phone, he did send a very, very nice email over to Jeff Gordon's dad, which helped me close that deal. So um, that was probably one of the last times, other than thanking Ted for that, that I've been in touch with him. Um, he doesn't, you know, Ted's kind of out of the limelight now. Mm-hmm. He's putting all of his time and energy into his, you know, uh, charitable uh, endeavors. And, you know, he's getting older. He's just loving life, you know, up in Montana, down in New Mexico. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, well, well, thank you again. I'm going to go. Did, did you have um, anything else you'd like to plug? Well, I'm going to do a live Periscope on Twitter um, where I'm taking questions from fans. So if you want to plug that in any way you can, it's uh, at E. Bischoff on Twitter. And we'll be doing a live Periscope starting at 8 o'clock Eastern on Wednesday night, the 7th of February. And hope to hear uh, from as many fans as possible. You can send your questions. Send them directly to me uh, on Twitter at E. Bischoff. And uh, I'm going to just, I'll spend as much time answering as many questions as I can. For all the latest news and interviews, WrestlingInc.com is the only website you need. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.